shared a little bit of perspective, one of the things I was thinking about when she was talking. Um, 300 evangelical believers out of two and a half million, that would be like Cherokee County having three. This needs to sink in a little bit. Uh, we are, just look in this room, we are blessed to have an opportunity of abundant fellowship, of like-minded believers who encourage us and challenge us and desire to equip us. What if you lived in this county and there were two others besides you who knew the Lord and loved Him and desired um, to grow in Him? That's a a humbling and a little bit overwhelming thought. And that's what what those folks face uh, on a daily basis. And yes, so you can imagine why there would be discouragement. Because I'm just overwhelmed by the sheer work that needs to be done. And yet, as Sarah so wonderfully reminded us, um, it's about the grace of God and Him moving. And and are we just being faithful to open our mouths when when God presents an opportunity? Um, Again, it's good to see each and every one of you this morning. Um, We are continuing our kind of discussion of baptism this morning, and we'll finish that next week. Uh, We are not going to get through all the outline. I didn't think we would when I wrote that. But I thought, well, you know, we'll be sort of ahead for for next week. Um, the danger of this, uh, let me back up and review a little bit. Last week we talked specifically about uh, what baptism is. We talked about the fact that um, baptism is our uh, identity with Christ's death and resurrection and what that what that reminds us of as, as those maybe who are being baptized or as the churches we watch a baptism, a reminder that we are dead to sin. That sin is no longer our master and, and we're, we also are united with Christ in His resurrection. And so therefore death no longer has sway, no longer has hold over us. We need not fear that. But it's also a challenge to us that we really are dead to sin. And so um, there's an expectation that we would sort of act like that. That we wouldn't take advantage of the grace that God offers us. Um, that we would strive to really live out the fact that we are dead to sin. And that we should act like that. Um, it also is reminders we read in, in uh, the end of that Ephesians passage that we are citizens of heaven. And so our salvation prepares us to live in this world of sin, in this world of godlessness, in a world maybe even of persecution, as we talked about it, just you kind of keep to yourself, um, in a world of apathy, with, with not only hope but fervor and excitement. Because we are citizens of heaven, we're prepared to live in this world as, as dual citizens and do so effectively and joyfully and confidently. And then finally, our, our baptism reminds us and reminds the church that the Holy Spirit has empowered us to live the life that God calls us to live. And that's a wonderful promise that we have as we identify with His death and resurrection. There's the promise of the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells within us to equip us to do what God calls us to do. Then the end of last week, just ask for some other questions that you had about baptism. I want to start covering those this week and next week. Uh, the danger is, as we start talking about topics, um, is that we would sort of think, okay, this is just some good information. I'm glad I've got that information. And, and we, we somehow lose focus on, on Christ. Um, let me pray for us that we would, in the midst of some information that I'm going to give you this morning, <clears throat> that we would not forget um, that we have a wonderful Savior who loves us 
uh, and cares for us. Father, as you look at your word this morning, <clears throat> God, I pray that you would, um, through your spirit, remind us of the truth of your love for us. That we would delight in your presence and that we would hunger and thirst after you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, a couple of questions um, that came up that I want to answer. And then next week we'll get to some of the more serious questions about baptism and salvation and baptism and communion, uh, baptism and church membership and all those, those types of things. Um, someone asked the question, why do we just have two sacraments and why do other churches have more than that? Um, we believe, first of all, that, that a sacrament, if you don't like that word, an ordinance, we believe we call it a celebration. I think the word is, is not important. Um, but we, we practice those two things because, number one, Christ commanded that we do that. He commanded that we baptize. He commanded that we, that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And they are pictures of our salvation. They're representatives of or representations of what happened to us when we placed our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They don't add anything to that, but they're a beautiful picture, baptism and the Lord's Supper, of what Christ has done for us by His love for us and by His grace. And so those are the only two things in Scripture that fit those categories, that Christ commanded that we do them, and they're a picture of, of that. There are other churches that add some others. The Roman Catholic Church, and I'm certainly not an expert, there are folks in here who probably can speak to that better than I can, they actually have seven sacraments. I just want to briefly talk through those and, and talk about why, what's good about them, but also why, they're, why we wouldn't call them a sacrament or an ordinance. Um, the first extra one they have is, is confirmation, and it really <clears throat> goes really, they, they kind of package three together, baptism, confirmation, uh, and communion. Um, baptism, obviously, the, the picture of, of our identity with Christ, but confirmation... Uh, they add as the priest would then lay hands on someone who's already been baptized, either as an infant who's now older or as an adult who's come to faith. And it's the, really is, I am giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm laying my hands on you and confirming that, that you are Christ. I'm adding the extra grace that you need in addition to your baptism, the Catholic Church would say. Um, symbolizing of when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down and God confirmed at that point in time, that he was his beloved son. And so there's a parallel there. But number one, um, Jesus never commanded that, that we lay hands on someone for them to get the Holy Spirit. That happened occasionally in the book of Acts, but it wasn't a, uh, an every time occurrence. It's not something that Christ commands us. So confirmation, and oftentimes in the Catholic Church, it'll be preceded by, if it was someone who was baptized as an infant, preceded by a time of instruction where they learn about uh, the ways of the church and what's required of them as, as believers. We would say also that, that the main person responsible for the education of children is not the church, it's the parents. Uh, we believe that that is, is very clear from Scripture. The church should certainly come alongside parents, uh, but parents, if you are expecting us in our elementary and our preschool, even our youth classes, to give your kids all that they need, um, then, then you are mistaken. That will not happen. What they ultimately need from you is a model of faithfulness and someone who is willing to come alongside and, and not only know the Scriptures themselves, it's a challenge for us as adults, but to teach those to our kids. Uh, two other uh, sacraments the Catholic Church adds are marriage and holy orders. 
Uh, we believe that marriage is something that, that gives grace to those who are married. Um, whether or not it's a good marriage or not, the, the mere fact that a priest marries you is in all the sacraments of the Catholic Church, you receive grace for that. Um, that's a good deal. It, it's kind of like bonus points. You get married plus you get grace. Um, it's helpful if you believe and you do so in faith, but it's not necessary. Um, all the sacraments impart grace to someone. Um, it's encouraged they, they do the sacraments faithfully, but even if they don't, they act within themselves to bestow grace on the person. Um, and then some people are called uh, to, in the Catholic Church, be priests. Uh, and so that is also one of the sacraments is, is the laying on of hands and passing down, in a sense, uh, from Peter, the way they believe all the way through that you are a representative of God to the church. And then finally, um, uh, uh, gift of, not the gift, the sacrament of, of healings. And in the Western church, that really became what we call the sacrament of last rites. If someone is, is very sick, the priest can come and confer grace upon them. Um, and that kind of happened if they were really on the verge of death. <clears throat> it wouldn't be so much for healing. It would be the idea of, um, I'm giving you grace before you die. Again, those things uh, are not commanded for us, and they don't picture salvation, so we wouldn't call those sacraments. Um, I'm going to turn to John 13 for just a moment. There's one other that, <clears throat> that some Protestant churches add to baptism and communion, uh, and that is foot washing. We'll talk about why that is not a, a sacrament that, that most Protestant churches follow and that we don't. <clears throat> so you, you're familiar with the story. Jesus is in the upper room. They've, uh, they're gathered for the Passover. It's the night before Jesus is crucified. And he gets up, uh, a job that someone else should have arranged to have already happened, and he gets up and, and washes the disciples' feet. And then he sat down, and in verse 12 he says, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Um, and clearly from the conversation with Peter, some of them didn't know what he had done for them. Um, but that's another sermon for another time. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. <clears throat> that word example means a pattern. It's a word that's never used of communion. It's never used of baptism. It is simply... I, as your Lord and teacher, have given you a pattern of the way you should relate to one another. And that pattern is, no matter how great you think you are, or no matter how great you actually are. In context, parentheses, by the way, I'm Lord of the universe. Right? You call me Lord and you do so rightly. I'm your creator. I'm your maker. I'm far above all rule and authority. And I humbled myself and did the lowliest task that could be done in our culture, in our context. And I've given you a pattern of how you should behave toward one another as believers. No matter how high and mighty you think you are, the task that I've called you to is service. Doing what nobody else wants to do for the sake of someone else that you would call a brother and sister in Christ. And so it's not the foot washing per se. It is... The fact that we are called to serve one another. So we don't celebrate foot washing as a sacrament, but we certainly would encourage you 
on a daily basis? Are you giving of yourself for someone else? Are you doing what nobody else wants to do? Because in our culture, that really doesn't mean a whole lot, right? We, we walk around with shoes. Okay, sometimes they get a little stinky, but, you know, we don't, there's not dirt and grime and sewage attached to our feet as we walk into someone's house. There's no need when you walk into my house for your feet to be clean. So the challenge for us is, what do I need to be doing for my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I serve them? How can I, and ultimately, what's the attitude that I should take? What do I need to do to humble myself so that I look like what Jesus would have looked like to those guys? They would have been shocked. They would have been a little humiliated. Peter was so aghast, he said, you're not doing that. And that's a challenge for each of us. What does that look like for us day in and day out? Husbands, what does that look like as you relate to your wife? Especially when God called us as men to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How are you sacrificing for her? How are you doing what, what is the lowliest task that needs to be done for her sake? That you might... Um, Bless her and encourage her. So we wouldn't say that foot washing is, is a sacrament. So those are some of, the, some of the things. But again, a sacrament, an ordinance, a celebration of the church. What does Christ command? And they're both pictures of, of our salvation. Uh, next question that, that I want to talk about um, is the mode of baptism. Why, why do we at, at Christ Community and why do uh, a lot of Protestants practice what we call immersion or dunking, so to speak, um, that we actually put people under the water and bring them back up. A lot of Christians don't practice that. Uh, I've got a quote. Phil, you want to put the first one up there? This is a, a document that was written uh, late first century, early second century, unknown author uh, to a group of believers explaining baptism. And it's, there's some humor in it, um, but also some things that we can, we can learn about just the culture of the time. Now, concerning baptism, baptize as follows. After you've reviewed all these things, and he talked for several pages about the Christian life, so sort of a catechism, if you will. Baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit in running water. So he felt like there's, you know, a creek or a river. We can't have this still stuff. But, next slide, if you have no running water, then baptize in some other water. And if not able to baptize in cold water, in the way the Greek language works, there's an understanding that, that the other water would still have been cold, uh, a lake or something, not running, but still natural water was, is the idea. Uh, but if you're not able to baptize in cold water, then do so in warm, right? So there's still this idea of, right, we have a, we have a hierarchy, right? Running water, cold water, warm water. Warm water would probably be like a cistern or... Uh, just a, a place they would collect water that would be sitting out in the sun and would obviously just get warm, something smaller. They probably didn't have in mind a, a baptistry, but I don't know, maybe. It's possible. But if you have neither, then pour water on the head three times, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One of the things we, we should get from that is he wasn't so concerned, though he definitely had, he had a, a preference, he wasn't so concerned about the way it happened, but notice at the beginning 
and the end he mentions the Trinity. If we don't involve God in this process, we're missing something. But there's something he doesn't say that's very important. When he says baptized, he doesn't say baptized by immersion or baptized by dunking or baptized by sprinkling or baptized by pouring. He just says baptize. And then when he says the word pour, he doesn't use the word baptize. And that's because that word carries the connotation of immersion. The word baptize in and of itself means you're putting something underwater. And so that is one reason why we practice immersion. But maybe a, a bigger reason, the idea of, again, ordinances and sacraments is they picture beautifully. It's a wonderful picture of what God has done for us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have died with Christ and we have been resurrected to new life. And so it's a wonderful picture as we go into the water and come back out that I really am, as we sang a minute ago, a new creation. I've died and I've risen again with Christ. And it's a powerful picture and representation of what God has done for us. And so that's why we as a, as a local body practice baptism by Immersion, we were part of a church several years ago. <clears throat> there was a man who did the same thing, and they actually went to a creek and did that. We did that a couple of years ago, but there was a snake in the creek, so I'm looking for someplace different. I'm looking for maybe still cold water, but not running water. I don't know. Um, but we were part of a, a church that did that, and there was a, a man who'd been in an automobile accident. Uh, he'd been burned over a good part of his body. He had a trach in, and they couldn't submerge him. And so for us to say, well, you know, sorry, you can't be baptized. So they, they walked him out in, in the creek and, and poured water on the back of his head. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and we would not say that, that he missed anything. We would not say that he, he uh, was shortchanged. Because the idea is, is I'm coming forward and publicly saying... I've died with Christ and I believe that I will be resurrected with Him again. And that's the testimony of what baptism is for the person who's being baptized. As we said, also a celebration for the entire church of, of what God has done for that person, but what God did for me at one point in time and two. And so again, my encouragement to you is if you have placed your faith in the death and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, but you have not been baptized... Let me encourage you to, to think seriously about encouraging us as a body by making that public declaration that we might celebrate with you. Next week, we'll continue our conversation uh, and talk about the link of baptism and salvation. What is that link and, and then what that means for church membership, what that means for partaking of communion and how all that goes together. Try to answer all those questions um, next time. Let me pray for us. Father, we rejoice in your goodness for us and how you have cared for us. We are thankful for Sarah's opportunity to, to share your love with other folks. We continue to pray um, for the believers that are there who face, face a daunting task of, of sharing your love. God, help us to be mindful of those around us where we are who don't know you. We are so blessed, God, to be in a family of, of believers. 
We are so blessed to have not just two other believers with us, but numerous other believers, not even in this body, but other parts of, of the county, people we know, friends who, who love you and call you Lord and Savior. God, help us not forget those blessings. God, I pray that you would encourage us as we go out this week. And I do pray that you would give us opportunities to be the light of Christ to those around us. We look forward to what you're going to do in and through us individually and as a body. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, one other, let me, two other announcements. Sorry, I forgot, you know, me and announcements. Uh, next week, uh, as Sarah talked about, just do we have opportunities to share in our local area? Yes, we do. And next week, uh, some of the kids are going to talk about their, their time in LJ a few weeks back. So uh, looking forward to hear about that.